topic of the sermon today is not technically correct on our paper. I, I gave it that title, but I, as I thought about it today, uh, I realized that I probably should have called it something else. Repeat the topic with me that you have said, messy, messy. Relationships, relationships with God. It really is more about a messy relationship with other people. I, the reason I, I got that confused in my mind because I just, there are three areas that I mentioned to you that describe a conversation that God had with Moses. In Exodus chapter 20, there's this conversation where Moses um, and God have a meeting. And God calls them up to the mountain and says, hey, let's talk about three things that concern me. Three major categories. He lists a total of ten things, and he calls them, we call them the Ten Commandments. And these ten commandments are divided into three categories. The first category deals with God's concern about our relationship with him. Come on, say it with me, please. Come on. Our relationship with him. Say it again. Come on. Our relationship with him. Now, the second thing I want you to understand is he's concerned about our relationship with ourselves, how we manage ourselves, how we interact with ourselves. The third area he's concerned with is our relationship with others, how we relate to other people. Our relationship with other people can be challenging. Our relationship with other people can be difficult. It's something that's hard sometimes to understand. Why does it get all out of sync? God said to Moses, everything is going to get messy if you don't pay attention to these ten areas. First of all, I'm concerned, he says, that they're going to stop making me first. So he put on the, on the tablet, thou shalt not have no other God before me. The second thing he's, just, he's concerned about is that you're going to start carving your own God. You're going to make me like you. You're going to make me Baptist. You're going to make me a Pentecostal. You're going to make me a black person. You're going to make me a white person. You're going to make me think like you and act like you and value what you value. And then you'll carve a God that doesn't offend you. Some of you have that kind of God. He never bothers you. You like that kind of God. Never ask you for anything. Never, never demands you. Never tells you you're wrong. Whatever you want to do, the God you've carved goes along with it. And he said, I'm concerned, Moses, that's what they're going to do. Carve other gods and images. Thirdly, I'm, control, I'm concerned that they're going to misuse my name. They're going to put my name, my stamp on what they do. And then they're going to, it's not just about cursing and using God's name in vain when he said that. About thou shalt not use the Lord, not, thou shalt not Thou shalt put no other God before me. Thou shalt not carve any graven image. And then thou shalt not take my name in vain. The third one has nothing to do with just using profanity. That could be a part of it. But he's talking about something way bigger than that. It's embarrassing him. It's living in such a way that you wear a name that's inconsistent with your lifestyle. And there's something about that, he says, that concerns me. But beyond that, I'm concerned not with just how they relate to me, how they handle themselves. They're not going to stop. They're going to get in the promised land. They're going to start building houses. They're going to start doing businesses. They're going to run and run and work and take over time and never stop, and they'll never Sabbath. We've taken the Sabbath and turned it into a church service. I understand your intent, but that's not what the Sabbath was established to be. The Sabbath was about you stopping. Would you repeat with me, please? Say, I, I need to stop. stop. Like, listen, not every week, not just every month, not just every quarter. The Sabbath was a weekly principle. There's something about rejuvenating the weekly process. Part of what Archibald Hart, a great guy, who I just love his, his books, his writings. He talks about being over-adrenalized in his writings, Archibald Hart. Great, great concept. The idea that you can go so far and do so much, you're, you're just not made for it. And he says in our military, for example, the challenge is you send them over there for a year, but they need a day for every day of war, they need a day off. 
They're, he said they're not, they're, they're not wired for it. That's why we have so much PTSD today and we have so many problems because we, over, we overburned them. We lit them on fire and say, go save us. And, and the challenge is we don't understand what that does to people. And all you got to do is interact with military people who paid a high price and, and you get real close, you see it. They pay a price for that, that retirement check. They pay a price to put that uniform on and, and, and to protect you. And, it's, and they do a job you don't know how important it is until you go deal with the people they go deal with. Until you go deal with the people they have to go deal with and come back with those images in their mind. You have no idea how much that price they paid. Can we give them all a big hand, please? Come on. Come on. Come on. Give them a big hand, people. Come on. They, they do it. They pay an incredible price for us. I have to stop myself from buying meals for them when I see them. One time I really saw them get off a little bit. One time I was in, I was in a restaurant and I saw two military people coming. Oh, I'm going to buy them breakfast. I saw I'm going to buy them breakfast. And then I looked up. It was about 15 more. I said, no, I'm going to pray for them all in Jesus' name. I'm going to pray for them all. It was a lot of them. I've done a table of five or six, but that was like too many. Was that a battalion? No, it's <laughs> a lot of them. But at the end of the day, I think there's an amazing reality that God looked and he says, I'm concerned that they'll burn themselves out. They'll never Sabbath. And then he says, the third area of concern, not just their relationship with me, how they treat themselves, their relationship, their relationship with themselves. I'm concerned with how they treat other people. And when the other people problems start, you can trace it always begins in the family. It's always in the house. It's always the mom and the dad and the son. And so today we talk about that. We talk about the fathers and the sons, the mothers and the fathers and the daughters. We talk about all of that today. And so when families get messy, the world gets messy. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. When families get messy, the world gets messy. Most issues in life that are messy start with family. If we improve the leadership and relationship in families, we will improve the world. But it all starts with the house. And I believe that when God spoke to Moses, he said this concern was one that was extremely important and it would affect the long term of the family in ways that nothing else affects it. So look with me, please, at God's fifth commandment to families. This is Exodus 20 and 12. Read this out loud with me, please. Come on. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be what? Long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother so that you will live long, live a long time in the land that God, your God, is giving you. Now, I want you to read in the New King. I gave you two versions there. One is the uh, message version. The other is the New King James. New King James written in 1611. It's kind of like churches, the church's favorite version in many places. Let me read this slow for you, and I want you to just notice something you might have missed. Honor your father and mother that your what? Days. Read it again. Come on. Say what? Honor your father and mother that your days may be what? Long. Pause right there. That's the part we, we tend to hear. That's the part you tell your kids. You want to live a long time? Treat me right. Honor your mother and your father that your days may be what? Long, but long where? Upon the land. Look at the verse. Upon the what? Two things he's saying. I want to talk to you about the importance of, number one, honoring your parents, right? Honoring your father and your mother. 
or whoever is your parent. But secondly, I want to talk to you about honoring leads to a longer life. There is that, this is a unique statement. If you honor your parents, he says, it affects the length of your life. Now, you can read that and think about that. That's, that's an amazing thing when you see a lot of young people these days who don't link the two. But secondly, thirdly, he says, honoring your parents leads to a quality of life. You get to stay on the land longer. You may start off with a great business, a great career, a great life, but if you don't honor the parents, there's something you lose. Now, please note there's another side to this, and I'll flip the coin in a minute, because there's a responsibility that kids have to their parents. You can't just do anything. And I really think sometimes people don't realize how much they've lost because of the way they disrespect their parents. You know one of the great advantages, and someone said this to me the other day, one of the great advantages of um, one of our kids, as a matter of fact, came to me in the last service and said this. He said, you know, Pastor, I, I, one of the challenges is I haven't been on the land long enough to really know what is the best direction. And that's what parents do. Parents' job is to give you an advanced look at the future. It's a parent who says to you, you've got to learn how to get up and go to school on time because you have to go to work on time. And if you don't go to school on time, you're not going to work on time. If you don't finish your paper, you know, you wait till the last minute to do your paper, you're going to wait till the last minute on the job and, and not meet, meet a deadline, lose a client, lose your job. So all those kind of disciplines are parallel or designed to help you prepare for the future. That's a parent's job. A parent's job is to educate you, is to find a way to help you, to show you the path so that you will know how to live when you get there. And so you honor that input. You honor that guidance. But in our culture, it's really starting to melt away. But here's what I think is really interesting. A lot of people think that only has to do with your younger years. I used to ask my kids, I said, do you think this has a time limit? get 16 and starts wearing off you don't have to honor me anymore when you get you know 18 oh you're free now hallelujah you're free say what you want to say do what you want to do it doesn't matter there's a time limit and I and I think a lot of kids think that way but I want you to notice this verse and I'll show you this more in a minute it's not just for the younger years but it's for the older years there's an honor responsibility that goes beyond just when you're younger now I want you to also hear, too, that there's an, and by the way, we'll pause here in about 15 minutes or so. I'm going to let you ask me questions about parents, parent questions, I call them. And you get to ask me what you want. We'll dialogue. It'll be fun. But I, I want you to think about how, how this was such an important issue to God that he put it as number five in the list of, of the Ten Commandments. And it's right before number six. Now, here's why that's important. Number six says, thou shalt not murder. I believe that part of the reason why we have so much crime is because what happens in the family oozes into the street. Now, I do believe that a kid can go way far away from his or her upbringing. If you don't believe that, ask God about Adam and Eve. No one's saying you can't go against what you were taught. But if you're honest, in our raising of our children these days, we're so busy creating our own God and working and going, that there's very little focus on family unity. When's the last time you sat at the same table and ate together? When's the last time you, you um, had fun? When's the last time you laughed? When's the last time you went anywhere together? When's the last time? It's almost like there's no routines in your life other than work and going around, ripping and doing and going and doing and 
being a transporter for your kids and let's go here. You're like a cab driver. I mean, you don't have a relationship. And, and that's, that's a deadly thing. And what it does is it provokes something in kids. And I'll talk about that later on. But there's something that happens when that's not solid. But I thought it'd be fun to do something first. I thought it'd be great. Every family should have their commandments, their things that they, they do. My mom had hers. So I wrote my mom's ten commandments. You ready? Want to read them? Get into my life. Be nosy. And, you know, at least I wrote them down for you. So I'm not, I'm not trying to hide it. These are ten things my mom kind of demanded when we were young. And I want you to notice that these ten things, um, <laughs> I think, have uh, helped me long term. See, I believe that the relationship between parents and children have the power to determine the long-term outcome of the family. A lot of things my mother put in law helped me. I didn't like it at the time, but they were very, very important. I was raised by a single parent, and so she really took this job seriously. She had no other kids, no other focus but me, so I was her full-time job. So here we go. Here's, here's some things that she, that she said. Number one, you ready? Um, these are number three in your notes. My mom's top ten commandments to me. Ready? The first one was what? Don't lie. That was it. That was at the top of the heap. Don't care what happened. Don't care what. I don't care what. Just look at me. I knew right from the gate. Just don't lie to this woman. She was short, but she was a trip. Don't lie to her. (laughs) Second thing was, and and let me just say something about lying. You got to make telling the truth safe. Here's the deal. All right, tell me the truth. (laughs) Just let me know the truth. Okay, just tell me what the truth is. Praise God. Hallelujah. See, when you start pulling off your belt, no, we need to lie right now. We need to find the best lie we can. There's got to be a good lie right about now. There's got to be one. (laughs) You got to make it safe. I always made it safe. No matter what happened, tell me what happened. And my kids would always tell me because they knew the deal. There's no penalty for telling the truth. As a matter of fact, if you want to get amnesty, this is where you do it right now. Throw it all, anything that could be beating worthy or judgment worthy, put it on the, on the, on the grace table and it's over. Yeah, I did it. I did all this. I did all that. Everything I did. There you go, Dad. Nothing else to tell you now, buddy. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Let's pray, Dad. Go ahead, pray. And it really created, throughout our lives, a very powerful relationship because that's, you just don't lie. But I can't lie to them either. One of the greatest compliments, by the way, ever given to me in this church, was when one of our members stood up and um, when they thought I was, you know, offered that opportunity to be in L.A. and some other places, right, and you guys... We talked about it, and I said, I'm going to go to Atlanta for a while. I'm going to do another, I mean, having a campus out there, and I'm going to L.A., and I was doing two churches for a while. And you guys, and of course, when I announced it in church, everybody got quiet on me like you are now. And, they, and I knew right then, we're used to Q&A in here, so it is like, let's open the floor. We want to ask you some questions. And one of the questions was, are you going to move to L.A.? I said, no. And I went back and forth for, for about 10, 15, 20 minutes. And... One of them stood up and said, you have never lied to us. I thought, now that is worth everything. There's something about not lying. And my mother put that in me from the very beginning. I'd rather just tell you. That's why I told you. I'm, I'm, I'm getting off now. 
You ain't gonna never have to take no videos, no YouTube, sneaking pictures. I'll come and tell you. I've decided to be crazy. I'll just announce it. I'm gonna be a fool tomorrow, so get your cameras out. I'm just gonna tell you. <laughs> because I, I believe there's something about if I'm in a bad place, let me tell you, I'm in a bad place. You don't have to sneak and find out. And so there's something about truth that was put into me from a kid. Come on, say, thou shalt not lie. Amen. She meant that. Number two, uh, don't live in the circle. She used to do this all the time. Don't do this, Ricky. Don't, don't, don't live in the circle, son. Always, you know, I'm sorry, and then you're back again, you're back again. I can see that little finger spinning, looking at me. She used to look up just like that. Then she said, number three, don't go outside and look in any kind of way. Mm. That was the law of the land. Let me tell you, she meant this. Look, put your shirt in your pants. Nope, they still in. You see that? Still in. She meant that thing. Put your shirt in your pants. Shine your shoes. A man has to, she used to give me man lessons. A man supposed to shine his shoes. She had all kinds of rules. And then she, you know, you got to take a bath every day. And on occasions, twice a day. And then she had little inspection spots. Right here was one. I'm right behind the ear. Right there. Take, take. There you go. You all right, son. There you go. I know that's tacky, but I'm telling you, that's what happened. I grew up with this. There was something about hygiene and brushing your teeth. She used to do this crazy thing. She used to have parcels, you know. You know what a parcel is? Some of you that don't floss, you're going gonna to find out. It's, you won't brush, you won't floss, you won't keep up. You know, and they, they have to push some teeth in there, and they pop right out. They, it's amazing. And so when I, when, she, when I didn't brush, she said, look at that, son. Bam. That's your future. You don't brush your teeth. See right there? And she popping back in. There you go. Now, if you want your teeth, let me tell you what you do. That was a daily reminder to me. Now, some of you got parcels. You smile at me right now. I said, get on, Pastor Rick. Yeah. But you, you would tell a person. Sometimes you didn't do anything. Sometimes things just go wrong in there, okay? Sometimes you did your best and just happened. But there are moments when you, you teach a lesson about self-preservation and self-care. And she said, you can't go out here looking any kind of way, and you must take care of yourself. Number four. She says, don't have a hard head because it leads to a, don't say it, soft behind. She said all the time. Then she said this, don't be like water falling off a duck's back. Listen, when I talk to you, don't let my words fall off your back like water off a duck's back. She said, number seven, uh, I'm number six, rather, don't uh, forget you must go to college or nicely said, get out of my house and get a job. She meant that. You will not sit around here and smile at me. I'm not raising, and this is when I used to hate this, but a lazy, trifling man. I will not raise a lazy, trifling man. And, and I, I was a young boy. And I said, oh, you know, lazy, trifling man. I'm a boy, mama. I know, but you're going to be a man. And so there was a strong passion that you have to get up and get it. Number, uh, where am I at, number seven? Number seven, don't bring any babies to this house. She said it really nicely. We'll move past that. Amen. That's what she said. Then she said, don't, don't bring any babies. She didn't elaborate. She didn't explain. And I'm, in some ways, I wish she had. Let me, I, I haven't said this in any other services. Moms, let me tell you something. You single parents, you make a classic mistake. 
I want to write a book about this. I want to write a book called The Journey, The Other Side of Being a Single Parent from the Son's Perspective. I want to tell how I saw it. And, the, and I want to tell the things I think she did right and a few things I think I would advise her to do if I can go back. We never had a sexual conversation. That was a mistake. Because here's why you don't have that conversation. Because you don't want to expose your side of the river. You, don't want, you want your children to think you are neutral. Because <laughs> you've never had any warm moments. You've never been highly motivated in the evening time. I don't see any more of that. You want them to think you're neutral. I never forget one time. I should. I can't say it. Jesus. Telling your kids about this is amazing because they ask you questions. So that means you know. Lord, I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to hear anymore. I can't take it. I don't want to hear more. But there's something about your parents taking you across that bridge and not letting some bozo or bozina down the street educate your children about stuff that you should tell them. But here's, here's the problem. when they Because kids ask questions, and you know you have your little rules. Don't be grown. That's grown people conversation. Grown people business. I never will forget one time, um, it's a true story, I was a young minister in a church, and, um, and I took him out on a camping trip, right? And I, had, and I, and, and I was always organizing stuff, and this is a kid, I was always doing this, right? So I was about mm, 18, maybe 18 years old, and I organized, I was a young youth minister in the church, and I organized this trip, and we all went to this campsite I, I found, and... Uh, <laughs> So I had, and I organized the whole thing, it's true, I did. Found the place, put them all up, and the, so the kids were on one side, and the adult women were on one side, and we probably took about, oh my goodness, we probably took 100 people on this trip. And so I had the older women in one cabin, the pastor and his family in another place, and, and the girls next to the, and then the guys all separated. And uh, the, back then they used to call me Minister Temple, and they said, uh, Minister Temple? Um, uh, so I put the girls next to the women. Now... What's amazing is what people will say when they feel safe. I don't know how this happened, but the older women started having adult conversations. And the teenage girls overheard it through the walls. So you know what the teenage girls did? <laughs> and the teenage girls got up on the walls and they heard some things that they shouldn't have heard. Old people who were saved and sanctified say. So they heard, the older people heard the girls on the other side laughing. So the older people came and got me. Minister Temple, you need to talk to them young women over there, eavesdropping on grown people conversation. And I said, what kind of conversation? None about, nobody's business. But they, were, they didn't want to talk about what they were talking about. But you know the teenage girls, oh, they was over there talking about sex. They just said <laughs> You know the teenage girls, they ain't going to hold back. Yeah, I'll tell you exactly what they said, and I know which one said it. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. So I said, I'm not the pastor. Let me go get the pastor, praise God. So I went and got the pastor. I said, come here. I am not the pastor. I am the youth guy. So we will let him deal with these issues. 
But that's a mistake that I think that you make as an older person. The proper thing was that, you know, you're right. We shouldn't have had that conversation. We're sorry. You just come up, lay, lay clean. Sometimes it's really hard. But remember, your kids can count. Later on, they'll figure it all out. They'll count up days, figure it out. Oh, Jesus. Oh, see, when were you born? When were you born? Oh, boy. Who's your daddy? Who's your, who's your mom? They're going to figure it all out because you sit in the school. Come on, say amen, right? So come on, come on, come on. They're going to figure it all out. So you'd help them by saying, I made, and I love this, I love this. I've seen parents say, look, girl, I made some bad choices. And here's why I made those bad choices. Let me talk to you and bring you along so that you don't get lost. I think that was a missing link that would have been interesting for me. But it's hard. I mean, it's hard to show your dark side. It's hard to admit your blind side. It's also hard to, 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 to be a victim of something that when your kids ask you, you can't explain it because you were abused by somebody they know. I've heard that story. Oh, you want me to tell you my story? Oh, my daddy's my story. I can't tell her that. Put that in her little mind. So you have a, you have a side that you can't tell because it has all kinds of ramifications that you can't control. I know stories that, that are horrific. But I think you've got to find a way to edit out what you have to edit out, but say enough to help them be okay. Come on, say, say enough, say enough. To, help them to help them be okay. What you tend to do is say nothing. And that's a mistake. Because they can stumble right into all the stuff that you stumbled into. But if you say enough, not everything. And if they get to a certain place, I'm not comfortable going beyond that. Just tell them. So I'm not, I'm not, not going to lie to you. I'm only comfortable going to 4th Street. What's on 8th and 9th? God going to have to tell you that because I'm not. I'm going to take you to 4th Street. But there's more, but I'll take you to 4th Street. Because I think 1 through 4 will help you. And that way your kids find help. Some of you, the problem is you take them all the way to 8th, 80th Street. You drown them. You tell them too much. You wear them out with all of your stories and mistakes. They don't deserve to hear all of that. And if you've already told them, pray for them. Tell them you shouldn't have told them and send them to therapy. Amen. In Jesus' name. Praise God. <laughs> I mean, if you did it, you can't fix it. By, you can't go back and change it. Because some of you, in the name of being transparent, you say too much. But I do think you do your best. See, that parenting is not about being perfect. It's about doing your best. And you learn as you go. That's why when you're a grandparent, you're so excited because whatever you did wrong, you can fix it. That's why grandparents have to be careful. Those are not your children. Come on, say amen. Come on, say these are not my children. No, you didn't say it. You can't even get it out, can you? Come on, say these are not my children. Even though my little girl, she right here on the phone. You know, Jesus, she on the phone. Where's she at? Come on, big girl. Where you at? There she go. Zoom the camera in. Zoom in. She went to an ice cream shop. You see her? Oh, Jesus, stop it. Jesus, come back. There you go. There she, you see that right there? She went to an ice cream shop, and she was eating ice cream. She's so beautiful, they took a picture of it and put it on the wall. That's what I'm saying. Come on, praise God. <laughs> they did. She was there. They did. But anyway, at the end of the day, she, she's not my kid. I can't, I can't allow myself to get confused and think, that somehow I need to somehow 
take over. Now, if you're the grandparent raising the kid, I get it. There's a whole different dynamic in that. But there's something about allowing yourself to be careful because this is your second run, and you do get to do it right, and you learn things you didn't learn in the first run with your kids. But you still got to make sure you're, you don't get overrun and make choices and have attitudes that you shouldn't have. I don't need to dominate Ricky and dominate Monica. I don't need to step in their life and act like I, this is, you don't know what you're doing. Let me tell you, you know, I don't need to do all that. You need to slow your train down a little bit. Come on, give me an amen if you're here. Amen. It's called GP Juice. Come on, say it with me, please. GP Juice. It's grandparent juice. You got to watch it. It'll overrun you. Them little people have you doing things and saying things. You got the little family wars going on. All because you have not drawn lines for yourself. And I've said enough. If you got it, say amen. All right. So she said, don't have a hard head. What was that? No number's on. Who knows? I was, number what? Eight. Number eight. All right. Don't stay in that bed, boy. That's what she told me. Get up. Don't stay in that bed. I was not a morning person. My mom used to tell me to get up, and I used to go like this. That meant I'm up. She said, I know that's your foot. Get out that bed, boy, you lazy self. Get out that bed. Number nine, don't ignore me when I call. Say that with me, please. Come on. It was really important to her that when she called me that I responded, that I did not take the position of um, uh, you're not important. It was really important. When my streetlights went out and she called my name, I had to respond. And then number 10, don't tell me what other people are allowed to do. They don't live here. You do. And so there was a clear scent in my life. These are the don'ts. And, there, and I pushed the limits. I used to dig in the watermelon. That was a don't. And she said, Ricky, who did it? I said, I don't know. It's only two of us in the house. <laughs> Couldn't even lie good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Couldn't even. Part of what I think makes it, this work is when you realize that the younger season of parenting change and become adult seasons. In the book of um, Matthew chapter 15, I gave you a verse that I want to sh- kind of change a little bit. In chapter 15, Jesus is talking to the um, Pharisees, and he makes a statement. Now, I gave you the version that is the message version, but I want you to note with me the King James version for a minute, because the King James version says it this way, just starting in verse 1. Describing the Pharisees, Matthew 15, were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus saying, Why do you disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, what you have is this. After that, the Pharisees and religious scholars came to Jesus all the way from Jerusalem, criticizing. Why do your disciples play fast and loose with the rules? But Jesus put it right back on them. Now, watch this now. They asked the question, this is King James, Why do your disciples transgress against the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, that was a good idea, but that wasn't a godly law, but they made it a law. Probably a smart thing, but they asked Jesus about that. He answered and said, why do you... Why do you transgress the rules? Why do, you tra- why do you use your rules to play fast and loose with God's commands? Verse 4, God clearly said, what did he say? Respect or honor your father and your mother, and announcing father, and denouncing rather father or mother, anyone that does that should be killed. Now, in the King James, it says this, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profits you might have received from me is a gift to God. In other words, 
the adult children were saying, when their adult parents would ask for help, I can't help you because I gave the money to the church. That's what they would say. So literally, Jesus was for the first time linking honoring with helping. Can you say that with me? Please come on. Honoring with what? You're supposed to help each other. He said, they would say in verse 5, he said, but you weasel around that by saying, whoever wants to say, whoever wants to can say to his father and mother, what I owe to you, I have given to God. That can hardly be called respecting or honoring your parents. But that's what they did. What is your responsibility when it comes to helping your parents? What is your job? Should you help them financially? Is that something you should? According to this verse, it is. Now, I understand that parents abuse that, which gets me to the next part of this. If you look down and notice under number five what Paul commanded, Paul was concerned about two things. First, he said in Ephesians chapter 6, children, obey your parents, right? Children do what? Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And by the way, this is about parents. This is not about spiritual leaders. Guys have used that to talk about obey your pastor. That's not true. Children, even that's a good idea to treat the pastor nice, but this is not for that. This is for parents. Children, obey your what? Parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be what? Well with you, that you may live long on the earth. You see that? And your fathers, fathers, here's the, here's the twist, here's the balance. Fathers do not do what? Provoke your children, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. In other words, I want you to admonish your kids. I want you to, I want you to encourage your kids. I want you to be not a provoker. Here's the balance. You are supposed to be honored, but you're not supposed to be provoking. You can make it hard for people to like you. You can make it difficult for people to submit to you. When you talk to a child like this, shut up, didn't I tell you to sit there? I will beat you past yourself. (laughs) Say another word. Say one more word. Just one. Praise God. You got to throw a little Jesus in there and make it holy. (laughs) But Pastor, what if they make you mad? What if you make God mad? You ever did that? You ever disappointed God? You ever carved your own God? You ever lived the way you want to live? You ever do what you want to do? You ever ignore him and just kind of, oh, yeah, praise Jesus. You ever drank yourself past your anointing? You ever parted, I won't say more, than you should have parted? So if God responded to you every time you, you had an issue. Why don't you do this? Why don't you give your kids the same rights that you give the people on your job you have to work with? You have to work with people, right, all the time that are difficult. Why can't you work with your kids that way? Why, my wife says something that was so profound. She says, kids have rights, Rick. And sometimes parenting, being parented by you is hard because you walk around, I am the man, not I'm the what? Who pays what? I pay everything here. Yeah, I know that's your room, but I pay for this room. You understand what I'm saying? You want to eat today? Who pay for that food in there? Give me the keys to the car. Who's driving? Who car is that? You told me it was mine. It ain't today. It's my car because you messed up. Give me your keys. See, I really think God should do you the same way. 
You whack up, you say, who gave this house? Give me the keys. Who gave this job? Give me the keys. You know, I, mean, I'm just, I want you to pause for a minute. Are you trying to say you shouldn't discipline? I didn't say you shouldn't discipline, but I think you should see how you discipline. You should see how quickly you run to the ghetto side, gangbang side, kung fu parent. <laughs> Hallelujah. Throw a little Jesus in there and make it better, right? Drag them to church, sit next to you. You know, slap them all upside their head before they got to church. They come in here, they can't say nothing, but thank you, Jesus. I'm glad the pastor's anointed today. I thank God for this word. This is a good word. Daddy, I really like church today. Did you like church? I love church today. I like Pastor Rick, boy. He's fair. I like the way he take that Bible and break it on down. Study that part right there. That was anointed right there. That was anointed. Let's go back next week. Here, part six. Praise God. He's on the road. <laughs> you could be a parent or bully. You know that? If you're not careful. Because you would not like anybody to talk to you that way. Did I help you today? I'm done. Come on. Did I help you? Okay, five minutes. Mike's get to run around the room. You get to ask me parental questions. What kind of questions do you get to ask me? Parental questions. What kind of questions do you get to ask me? Par- One more time, loudly, please. What kind of questions do you get to ask me? Parental questions. Don't ask me about Ezekiel. Don't ask me about how the Bible started. Don't ask me any of that. Because <laughs> I'm going to say I can't answer that today. All right? So, everybody, raise your hand. You get to ask me parental questions. I'll take, I'll take about five minutes worth. Got one right here. Got one right here. She, she heard. You know you get to go first today, right? I ain't going to say nothing. She, she, yeah, she heard me on stream and she ran. She said, I'm going to hear the whole thing. I want to ask me a question. Throw it out there, girl. What's your question? Okay. It's on. Just keep talking about faith. Keep oh, talking okay. about faith. Yeah. Uh, so, what about when you, like, okay, it's my son. Mm-hmm. And he makes pretty good grades in school, but um, oh boy. I feel like he's not living up to his full potential and putting his best effort in. So how can I encourage him to do better? Do better? His best. M- mamas always do this, dude. I understand. You understand what I'm saying? Hang in there. It's all good. They don't mean no harm. They love you. Okay? Good. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the deal. No, it's important for me. You know, give him time. Love him. Love him forward. Um, you can pass the mic back, too. Um, love him forward. I mean, I think I think mothers sometimes can, I think it's important not to under, under require, and it's, it's, it's time. There are some classes you do better in, in college or in life, and there's some you don't. You have to say, for me, a B in this class is an A. This is at the max for me. In this class, it's a, you know, I believe in A's and everything. That's a new concept. I didn't have that concept all my life. But I think you love a person to the bet to the next level. And you encourage them. Uh, and then you make sure that you give them the tools that they need that help them learn the way they learn. Uh, I think I would have loved playing music if I was handled differently when I took music classes when I was a kid. But they put me in a music class with a guy who made me sit there all day and write whole notes and half notes uh, on weekends because he said he had some free time. So we don't need to go every day. So he, he offered for free for me to come on the weekend. I think it was for free. And then he, I watched him teach the other students. And when they got something wrong with the piano, he hit them on the hand with a little, little ruler. So he overdid it you know, if I had a different exposure. So I just think that you have to make sure you don't overdo it. 
and just give him time and put your arms around him and take him out and have a lot of fun. Okay? Somebody else? Where you at? Right here? Yes. In a situation or you see a situation, and I know sometimes that parents say they don't favor one child over the other, but what do you do in a situation where there is a parent that is favoring one child over the other? The other child knows it, and the other child is taking advantage of that and, and, and using it to their advantage, but there's one child that's not. And like I said, I know parents are saying, no, treat them all the same, right. but it is a, it's an obvious situation where it's... Thank you. I, first of all, I don't misread it or try to... It depends. I'm real careful as a pastor not to impose myself too much. You know, so if it's something I see in a family and they're close to me and I have that kind of equity where I can talk about it, then I'll approach it and talk about it. But I, I, I believe it's important to understand that in any family there's a great chance that one kid will rise above another. And you have to teach the kid who's risen how to be humble and teach the kid who's risen above how to be humble. Because both have to learn the same lesson. I'm not better than you, and you're not worse than me. Does that make sense? So I, I, I can't, if your kid is Michael Jordan and he's your brother, I'm sorry, he just plays better than you. And he made 1.3 billion, he's one point, worth 1.3 billion dollars today. And you worth, okay, you get the point? You marry Oprah Winfrey, sorry, it's going to be a gap. That's as far as, <laughs> I mean, Stedman going to have to deal with that. That's life, buddy. You know, there, there are moments when people are better than you at things. Learn how to be better than somebody and learn how to be less than somebody. Paul said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Parents don't always manage that well. Now, so the parents, if I was a friend of the parent, I'd say, manage that a little better. Make sure you communicate to everybody their value, but wherever they are. Say amen. You got it? Good. Somebody else? Where are we at? Right here? Yes. Quick question. Um, I'm a parent to three children. Um, right. My mom was diagnosed with like, cancer two years ago, and then she ended up living with us. And, you know, a lot of the responsibility of taking care of her, some financial responsibility has fallen on us. Um, my question is sometimes you end up kind of feeling a little bit resentful. Mm. And it can cause problems in the relationship, you know, awkwardness with the family dynamics. How do you deal with that? And, you know, because you're struggling to live right. You want to please God. And you don't want your children to see things that later on, you know, they're going to use and dishonor you. So, I mean, how do you find that balance? Thank you. That's a tremendous question. Um, when, when a parent comes to you and they're sick and now, now the roles have changed, honoring them means you got a parent that's got to live with you because of a physical ailment. You know, this is where families show where they are, what you're made out of, because it could be you. I know people who, uh, I know a case where the husband cheated on the wife, and then he, when he cheated, um, he got up in age, had no place to go. His ex-wife took him back in and had to nurture him until he died. Things don't always stay the same. You never know who you're going to need. It may be awkward for the family, but this is an opportunity for your family to sow a seed that will bless them for years to come. Because I think that ultimately it's painful. The challenge is everybody... What, I'll tell you what that does, though. Pressure reveals how shallow your strength is. How much weight can you handle? How much debt? Right now, if we had another $5,000 need, could you manage it? Do you have enough roof where you can handle that kind of surprise. You know, what's your weight load? When you have family members like this who potentially can get ill, if your family isn't strong, 
and you're the only one. Are you the only child? Yes. One's in the service and, and son's a newlywed. But see, even in the midst of that, the, the family still has to feel like it has, to, it has a burden. To, I can come a week, a year, or I can do something, or I can send some money, or I can help you pay for it. There's a sense. When, that's when you see where family's strong and weak. Because when some, how many know when a funeral happens and somebody dies and everybody cries? Oh, Lord, they died. Oh, I can't believe they died. Oh, God, Jesus. And then here's the part that stopped the tears. You ready to dry them up? Let me tell you, this is drying up. But they don't have any insurance. Really? Jesus, wow, what are you going to do about that? You know, just all their tears dry right up. Just <laughs> they can't offer $50. It's sad. Come to the casket by pulling out the casket and won't give $50. Am I making this up? $50. They'll come to the church first. We give more money than the children give. That's a shame before God in heaven. So my point is it's an honor for you. And what this is going to give you a chance to do is strengthen your family, strengthen your borders, and you'll be able to say, okay, we, we shouldn't, if we have intention about this, it's because we don't have the money we need. It's because we don't have much, much, much bounce room in here. So this means we're going to prepare ourselves because, let me tell you, more weight's coming. The longer you live, more people die, the more th- challenges you have to have. I got, I got people in my family, when they die, they start having these, fun- these funeral offerings. I say, here we come again in Jesus' name. He didn't have a dime worth of insurance. Cool as can be and broke as can be. And I go slap him in the grave. You need to pay your own way to your grave. You mess with my money. You should have died. That's how I feel. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to do it because that ain't right. Some of you say, the pastor, pa- I know it ain't right. I ain't going to do it. I promise. But <laughs> I told you I ain't going to do it. You ain't got you. I know that's wrong. I just told you how I feel. Make me mad. And all you got to do is have about 20 of them come to you. You'll start wanting to slap people too. There's about 20 of them. They come all the time. They come all the time. It's always, you know what I'm saying? And, and they didn't save a dime. And it cost you but $35 a month to insure yourself. And now some of you should feel guilty. You ain't got a lick of insurance if you died right now. Your mama going to bury you. You old, as you, you old and cool, bury yourself in Jesus' name. Come on, say amen. amen. Come on, amen, amen. I'm serious. Bury yourself. You missed the cool up in here and ain't got a nickel. You can go get yourself $35, $30, $20, $10, Do something. I'm sorry. I'm carrying all here. You're doing a good thing. Father, bless her. Prosper this family. Give them the strength to engage this season. And may you give them power to unite around this moment and become stronger than they've ever been in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have one or two more and I'm done. Where are we at? One. Let me see you. Two. I'm done. Now when I see you, I'm finished counting. Three. Okay, that's it. Come on up here. Come up right, right where we at. Okay, come up here. That's four, and I'm going home now, y'all, because you know how you are. You got to get out of here. I know how it is. Okay, go for it. Uh, so keep talking about faith. What do you do when uh, your parents want a relationship with you that was never built? When your parents want a relationship with you never built, um, better, better now than never. You got to forgive them for not being there for you. See, the, the temptation is to hold on to the grudge. And, and, and to not understand that they have their own story and they have their own journey and maybe they messed it up. But what a great chance that you get a second chance. And at least if they're bold enough to say, I was wrong and I want a relationship, give them a chance. And then learn their story. So why weren't you there? What was, what was it? I was just crazy. 
I was out of my mind. I was on drugs. I was, I was just chasing. I don't know what I was. Sometimes they don't know either. They need therapy too. So just kind of start where you can. Just like God started with you. You don't deserve one with him. I failed him. You failed him. But he loves us. Okay? Cool beans. Good job. Thanks, man. I get that. I feel that. I want you to know I feel that. Okay? Somebody else. Where we at? Two? Right here? Yes. Okay. Um, I was wondering, me and my husband have been married for eight years now, and we just recently became parents. We have right. two little ones. Yay. Yay. <laughs> um, and since we're married, our parents are each other's parents. So we have a parent that we share, and she, how do I even say that? She is living in a lifestyle where she is, um, instead of Christianity, she, she's practicing witchcraft, okay. the occult, things that are very demonic, mm-hmm. and um, we love her, and now we have these young children, and she is very excited about being a grandmother to them, mm-hmm. but the things she says and does, I mean, when she gets upset with us, she says some of the most demonic things mm-hmm. out of her mouth to us, and mm-hmm. I don't know how to protect our children and to keep our family united. The work with her. I mean, your wife, your, she's bewitched. I mean, okay. Um, I mean, <laughs> I'm not putting it down. I'm just simply saying, no, being honest. There's a moment where you deal with people. No, I'm not playing it down. Would you hear me? There's a moment where you're dealing with people that are not easy to deal with. That's part of my call as a Christian. Jesus dealt with people that were demon-possessed. He dealt with people that were confused. He dealt with people that were violent. It's not easy but God's going to give you an anointing one day you write a book about it and make a million dollars. You're going to get an anointing. But the main thing is love this person and draw lines. Say, could you just help me? I know we disagreed. But it would be true if they had any other religion. He said, if you can just help me and you have courageous conversations, it becomes what it becomes. If she says those things, now see those kind of comments, that creates this separation. Sometimes you have to have that tough moment. Now, and, and though, but if they're excited about being a grandparent, give them a chance and, and most people are reasonable if, you, if they really want. GP juice is strong, you know. They, they want to be with their grandkids. All I would say is give them an opportunity, have a courageous conversation, and reach out to me later and we'll talk more. Okay? Fair enough? Thank you. Somebody else? Yes. Um, my husband and I are um, two very headstrong individuals, okay. and um, we're parents of a, of a new one. And we came from two very different parenting styles, mm-hmm. and so... Um, we acknowledge that we don't always agree with what we want, but what we do agree is we want the best for our son. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to two people who are pretty much two bulls and they're used to butting heads with each other until one of them bows down, but you have a child now and we don't want to do that mm-hmm. in front of our child? Dr. Phil calls that child abuse. He does. It's really powerful when he said it. Um, you will train your children when you fight in front of them to fight. And the question is, who will they fight with? And what will be the result of that fight? You will train them to, to be loud and disrespectful. The question is, where will they be loud and disrespectful? And what will that mean? Uh, there, there are things that parents don't always understand they're doing when their kids are younger, but you're training a person. 
And that's what the Ten Commandments is about, remember? Family, if family's messed up, what happens is the next commandment, the sixth commandment is thou shall not murder. Violence is a result. Violence, in my opinion, is the leakage of the family problem. And so what I would say is be clear that this is a time for you to make that adjustment, and he's a gift to you to give you a motivation to rise above it because there's no issue more important than loving each other. None. None. All you got to do is do funerals. I see a lot of wives on the front row, a lot of husbands on the front row, wishing they had not made that an issue. So you can do it. You're going to rise above it. Y'all going to become just so quiet. You're going to know, you know yourself in Jesus' name. But I think it's also good that you're passionate about life and that you have a driving passion. I don't want you to lose that fire. Don't become Mickey Mouse, okay? I want you to be strong, but I want you to learn how to manage that strength. Okay? God bless you. Somebody else? One more? I saw we had one more. Where, where, where are we? You and we're done for the day. I said yes. Okay. Um, how do you go about rebuilding a relationship with a parent who uh, selfishly kept you from the other parent? Know the story. If you don't ask them the story, maybe they were afraid of the other parent or maybe they felt the other parent wasn't a safe place for you. This, it may not be true, but at least you know the story. I would not assume that they selfishly did it until I know their story. And I would, I would, I would, I would just let, let me start where we are today. Now you're grown and you're showing, and if I'm showing now, you can see everything. You know what I'm saying? So there'll be no need to worry about you now. But maybe when you were younger and maybe when that person was younger, they were not as responsible. Um, I deal with this a lot where parents are afraid of letting their children hang with someone they had a relationship with because they know the person and they know their family. You know, if you have a little girl and you send a little girl over to you with your extra and uh, your other significant other and they're not responsible, things can happen. And, and, and I had somebody just tell me this, this week. They said, hey, I'm concerned about what will happen. And so the same thing we heard just a moment ago. So ask the story and then forgive everybody and move on. Don't live in the past. Go forward. Because that's not going to pay you. That happened, but it doesn't have to keep on happening. One more time. That happened, but it doesn't have to keep on happening. Okay? That's what I'd say. Thank you. Did you enjoy today? Did you really? God bless you. Let's, let's, let's pray. Father, I pray that all that's been said today is going to lift hearts and minds and give us a direction. I speak in Jesus' name to the hearts of your people and declare that they'll leave this place inspired and changed. I thank you and I praise you for them in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Ricky, what you said today spoke to me. Maybe you should look at me for a second. Look at my face. Why don't you look at me? And you know that you're not right with God, but you know you want me to pray for you before you leave. You're watching from home. You know this is the moment. When you say, Pastor, I'm a good person, but I need, a, I need a refresher. My walk with God is not where it needs to be. I want to, you to pray for me today. So when I leave out these doors, I'm right with God. With every head bowed now, let's pray with prayer. If you want me to pray for you because you know that's you, I want you to raise your hand and say, pray for me. Just raise your hand. I want to see one. I see two. I see three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen people plus 18 people. Father, touch these hands, touch these lives. 
all these who raised their hands and many who raised their hearts both here and home. Heal them, deliver them, start. Let this be the beginning of a new walk with you. We thank you for the difference you make. We thank you for your healing touch in their lives today. And I declare by faith that you will heal and save and deliver. And I thank you for all those who raised their hands, many more than I've counted, and those that are home as well, healing and blessing to them. Can you all pray this prayer? Lift your hand high. Everybody hand go up. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for your forgiveness. I ask you to be the Lord of my life from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Listen, I want to thank you for letting me pray with you. At the end of the service, 